with that, we welcome you back into the One Giant Podcast. How are you, Andy? I'm good, Adam. What's shaking? Well, my friend, it is, as we know, the kickoff of Combine Week. Starting on Thursday, you're going to start to see all of these young draft prospects getting out there in their tight spandex uniforms, doing a bunch of things that seem non-football related. The bottom line is that this is like the, the, the first phase that we get into here after our mock draft and all of the, the information that we're looking at on these players. Now you can, try to, you can kind of see, do these guys check the boxes that they're projected to coming into the Combine Week? Now, before we get into a couple of the, the quotes from Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman here in some of their press conferences from Indianapolis, just you know, overall, man, when it comes to the Combine, I know that some players can, can make big leaps there, but do you get overly invested in how players perform at the Combine, or do you kind of stand by what you saw on tape or college level or what scouts have said about a player over you know, three or four years? Adam, you're burying the lead from the Combine. Oh, go ahead. You're burying the lead. The lead is starting with a question. What did your hand measurement come out to be? <laughs> yeah. How big are your fingers, buddy? Uh, I, I just took out the uh, measuring tape, and I'm nine and seven-eighths inches, I believe. So wow. just to let you know, I would probably be uh, like a top 10 quarterback in the NFL based on my hand size. Um, but, but yeah, I just, my, my first funny instant takeaway was how awesome Joe Burrow played it off. He's like, well, it looks like I'm going to be having some trouble holding a football in my life, knowing that my hands are supposed to play, right. play quarterback, right? And, and, and he measured out the same hand size as Mahomes, and then Mahomes tweeted at him, like, same thing, man, same thing, I feel you. It's like, it's so funny how, you know, and it, it kind of goes into what you were saying, like, how much stock do you put in, in the, the combine, and Listen, I think it's one of those things for me where I just look at it to say, the film tells me X, it, do all the measurements and do all these other things reconfirm everything that I've seen? And if it does not, then I need to start asking more questions about that person or understand more why one of them doesn't line up with the other. But I think people that all of a sudden see that a guy, you know, all of a sudden has an amazing three cone drill, but has never been able to run past anyone in his life. Like, I never understood the buzz that these people get, and I think they're getting a sleeper. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because some of the things on social media, uh, a couple of guys have been pointing this out. I think I even brought it up uh, yesterday. I did a little bit of that, of that cornerback breakdown. I pivoted positions, as we know. But it was that, I, that sense of these mock drafts that come out, and we've done one, but we're trying to be thoughtful about them and how you evaluate these players, and all of a sudden you're seeing, so many bodies shifting up and down based on what people are talking about and what they think and what their hand size was. And at the end of the day, you have to take a little bit of a step back and say, right, also there's a lot of distance between the offseason and the combine and then with free agency and then with the draft. And some of these outlets, you got to keep putting product out there. So you're going to shuffle it and come out with maybe some hot takes about these players. Because to your point, man, I don't know how – if you're high on Joe Burrows, I don't know how they measure his hands and you go – Oh boy. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I know, I know, I know that I watched a ton of film on this guy, but understanding the length from the base of his palm to the tip of his index finger, I have some seriously growing concerns. It, it, it is funny to think about. And, and that's why I, I always have viewed the NFL draft as just validation for what your eyes have seen. If they play really well and then they throw the ball really well at the combine, like, a plus B equals C. I think any time right. that things don't match up is just where you ask questions. 
And it doesn't mean that you wouldn't draft a guy in the same position. It just means you need to do a little bit more due diligence to reconfirm whatever it is that you thought, whether he was a good player, fast, slow, you know, good hands, bad hands. It's just one of those things where a guy could have a, a drop rate of like 11% on all of his catches. And then one day at the combine, he catches every single ball around him and people are like, <laughs> Look at the hands this guy has, right? It's right. like, which one do you trust? A couple of the things that come out as the uh, GMs and head coaches, so we get to learn a little bit more about Joe Judge through some of these interviews, and then obviously we get to kind of see what maybe the shifting perspective is from Gettleman coming into this combine week. Now, I, I want to quickly dismiss this one, and then I do have a bit of a perspective about it. Obviously, we know, right, Joe Judge gets asked, is Daniel Jones the starting quarterback for you? And he says, it's all open competition. Nobody has a guaranteed spot. I, the reaction to this stuff is, is, just seems silly to me. The, the, the simple answer is not only did he become a disciple of Bill, Bill Belichick and, and listen and, and appreciate all the things that, that happened, he understands why Belichick has acted the way that he has. And, and that's, I think that's lost on everyone. I think everyone just thinks Bill Belichick is a jerk. But, but what you need to realize, what he's doing is he's simplifying things for himself so that he doesn't get himself in trouble. The mm -hmm. second that you open up and you talk about every single player and whether they're number one on the depth chart, number two, number five, like where everybody stands, you just open yourself up to more opportunities to, to provide media fodder where people can start being critical of you. If you just kind of go with the baseline that everyone is here to compete, no one is guaranteed a job let's start from there, then like there, there's no way for anyone to, to angle in and say, well, Jones didn't throw the ball well. What's happening? Like who, none of that matters. He's trying to just eliminate as much of the controversy and noise as humanly possible. And I know that sounds counterproductive considering he refused to name Daniel Jones as a starter. But if you just have that mentality across the board, then no one, you're not going to get yourself into those weird predicaments that, that we see a ton of coaches get into at press conferences. Yeah, and on the other side of it, and this is kind of where I think about Joe Judge coming into the organization and what it feels like in terms of that relationship with Dave Gettleman and who's maybe leading this a little bit. I think Joe Judge has a pretty strong voice in it because Gettleman also mentioned when asked about Nate Soldier and whether or not he would be a starter, same thing. Gettleman said, everyone has a blank slate. Everyone has to compete. Uh, and, he, and he referenced said, just like, just like Joe Judge said, this is where we're at on this. And for a GM who brought in Nate Soldier, and obviously we, we've highlighted how he under, has underperformed, but if you're Gettleman, you might want to hang your hat on one of your guys. That wasn't the case here. He basically said, again, blank slate, you're going to come in and compete. And I at least think that that's interesting from a, a Nate Soldier standpoint because it's not like he's a young top you know, six pick in Daniel Jones. This is a guy, high price tag free agent, that is going to have to come and improve over the course of this offseason and training camp that he can still be a contributor on this offensive line, as Gettleman highlighted, and so did Joe Judge, the need to improve the offensive line play. It, it, I think the simple way to wrap this piece up is to say Dave Gettleman drafted Daniel Jones number six. He also hired Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer is fired. He has to admit mistake there. If Daniel Jones wasn't going to be the quarterback of this team, then basically you're saying Gettleman's big, two biggest decisions were abject failures, and he shouldn't be in the role anyway. So clearly Daniel Jones is going to be the quarterback. It's just one of those things that football guys say, everyone has a chance to compete, but we know he's going to be the quarterback. And all this other stuff stirring up controversy is, is meaningless to me. Nice, clean break. Now, as we look into the combine, getting past the silly hand measurements, 
do you look at offensive line in this group of top end tackles as the guys you kind of want to keep an eye on just to see how they look when they are going through these combine uh, skill skill assessments? Do you look at all at some of those deeper offensive tackles when you talk about maybe second round, depending on how things shook out, if the Giants were to trade back? Are there any other players that you maybe are curious to see here at the combine uh, over you know Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday there to see if maybe it moves your needle or just confirms what your suspicions are on them? So for me, the guy that I've been interested in, and probably because we saw him so much in college and through the college football playoff, is Justin Jefferson, the, the wide receiver uh, from LSU. You know, he measured in at 6'1", 202. He has some good size. Um, you know, he was he basically had a thousand yards uh, last year in Burrow's offense. Um, I really like him, and he's kind of been a late first, early second round t- tag right now. It's going to be interesting to see how he performs at the combine. If, if he really blows it out, he can move into that top 25 kind of pick range, which pretty much puts him out of discussion for, for the Giants. But if, if he kind of has a little bit of a, a, a slow, you know, cone drill or whatever, whatever it may be, high jump, all those things that they do, it's like maybe he moves back to that 20, you know, 25, 30, maybe 35. And all of a sudden we're talking about seeing some value from – a guy that I think would be a great fit on the Giants. Do you look at him, you know, with his height, his measurables, and just how he performed at college, do you look at him as being, you know, a clear-cut better option, being at 6'1", decent size, not, you know, not great, as opposed to a Pittman Jr. or, as you know, I've highlighted a Chase Claypool, guys that have, you know, 6'3", 6'4", stature, really big-bodied red zone threats. Would you, if this player falls, do you think, oh, that's clear value there and it fits our need? Or would you be on the fence if it's all things being equal? Well, just as long as we check the offensive tackle box in the first round, I think that m- makes me breathe uh, you know, a sigh of relief and, and opens us up to really looking at value and, and areas of interest. Obviously, we need cornerback help. Obviously, we need linebacker help. There's a bunch of different positions that we have a need at you know, wide receiver is one of those needs. So if we recognize and we say, man, we have Justin Jefferson as our third best wide receiver on the board. We have him at a top 20 um, ranking, uh, you know, on our big board. And all of a sudden he's sitting there at 34, 35, 36. You know, that's the time where I feel comfortable pulling the trigger. Uh, You know, one of the things I will say, and just looking at some of this stuff, I looked at all the measurables for all the LSU guys. And there's a tight end by the name of Steven Sullivan who played a little bit of tight end wide receiver. They're not even sure that the guy's going to get drafted, but he is enormous. He's 6'4", 250, and he had an 85-inch wingspan, which means his catch radius is, like, otherworldly. And it's, it's people like that that we can kind of take risks and chances on when, when we're specifically looking for height. Um, but early on in the draft, I think you've just got to go with the talent that you saw on the field, and Jeff, Justin Jefferson is one of those talents. Yeah, actually, Sullivan is one of those players that when you know, I looked up the the scouting on him when we were doing getting into that mock draft scenario because in those later rounds you think about you know running back is usually a position like this right sometimes guys that get buried in college just because they're behind the Saquon Barkleys or the Ezekiel Elliotts and then they come out in the draft and it's like oh no this guy was borderline you know first second round talent but you just didn't get a chance to see him because of how many fantastic running backs you have at the college level same thing with tight ends I feel like because they don't do the flashy things on tape and if you see a a big receiving tight end that's oh my god we got to get this guy you want to you want to take Evan Ingram in the first round right but 
ones that are just overall and effective. I think fullbacks are the same kind of way, right? You take these guys in the sixth, seventh round, they're probably talent grade wise, a third or fourth round talent, but no one's going to take them that early in the draft process. Right. And, and the funny thing, you know, and, and I don't want to harp too much on Sullivan, who, who is a late round guy, but he has the same stature as Caden Smith. Just looking at LSU, obviously they won the championship. They've got probably 10 to 12 guys that are going to get drafted. Now, you had mentioned talking about at the top of the second round there, the possibility of if a wide receiver falls back there, maybe there's a chance that the Giants see, see value at that pick, assuming that they lock in this offensive tackle in the first round. One thing I will say is with, with these mock drafts kind of fluctuating around about where these guys are going to go, we both kind of agreed that trade down scenarios need to be something that the Giants are in the market for. And I just wonder, I posed this on social media as well. You know, I said, are you willing to trade down if, you, if you're not guaranteed to get one of those top four offensive tackles. And so one of the guys that I'm curious to look at at the combine is someone that, that, that everyone believes has a high upside, and that's out of uh, Auburn, Prince Tega Wananogo, who by all accounts, the measurables are there. Everyone thinks that he can be a, a, a solid starting even left tackle at the NFL level if the Giants trade back say with the Colts who want to come up to get their quarterback at four and all of a sudden we miss out on those top four tackles would you be willing to do that knowing that it gets you then two second round picks two third round two fourth round two fifth round and maybe a player like this is the body that you go out there and attack at the top of the second round I feel like that's a very risky proposition, but mm -hmm. I mean, you can never say never, um, except talking about Dave Gettleman trading back. He has never done it. Right. Um, but, but I look at some of the, the next tier guys, you know, uh, Trey Adams from Washington is one of the offensive tackles. Enormous guy. You look at Austin Jackson, you, you just, you just touched on uh, Prince from, from Auburn. You know, that's kind of the next grouping that are all looking like they're anywhere between late first to, to mid second round, maybe late second round. I, I guess the only scenario that I could see is if we trade back and we end up falling in, in the mid teens or something and we don't get one of those offensive tackles. There is a lot of cornerback depth there at the beginning, elite cornerback depth. And, and I know you touched on a, a little bit of it in the podcast. But then I think if you're going to accumulate second round picks, we might even have to take two offensive tackles, you know, in the second and the third round to be able to make sure that we're going to hit on one of these. And I think, you know, taking someone like Thomas, who uh, I've, I've been high on and, and think is, is going to be the right pick for the Giants, he seems like kind of a sure bet. You know, he's going to be an offensive tackle that you know is going to be around for 10 years. I can't say the same for that second tier of offensive tackles that we'd be looking at there. Once the run starts on those second-tier players, they go in a hurry. So you're talking about back into that first round. All of a sudden, as some of these teams pull the trigger on an Austin Jackson, you see the next two or three guys fall as well. So there's no guarantee that they're going to be available there for you at the top end of that second round. But I'd be curious to see in a trade-down situation if the Giants grab a tackle in the first and then still in the second, maybe even back that up with multiple picks and look to bring in another offensive lineman thinking about competition, thinking about depth, and of course, thinking about the future. You know, to, to pivot over to the scenario that I played out last night, so I did want to get your thoughts on this. And I mentioned it when I went through this mock draft, it almost seems absurd. Giants make a trade down with Indianapolis Colts. I think that that's reasonable. And the haul that they get, okay, it all matches up. What was weird to me is that at 13, Andrew Thomas was available for us. I specified it last night that 
I think that a tackle will be available there. I would be shocked if it was Thomas. So I still think you're, you know, a Wirfs, a Wills, uh, Mecky Becton probably being the, the, the last that you would say is the name to come off there and be available uh, for the Giants to select. But when you moved into that second round, what I really liked about it was you check that offensive tackle box. And then as I ran through the list of potential cornerbacks, you know, Damon Arnett out of Ohio State just seems like he is about as sure a thing as you could want to have in that cornerback group. And what's beautiful about him is he's versatile enough to play inside and outside. So where, have the, where were the Giants weak? I mean, secondary, there was weakness across the board. But if you like what you saw from Baker on the back end of the season, if you felt like Sam Beal was getting his legs underneath him a bit and you still want to bring in competition, a guy like Arnett can plug into the slot. He can move outside and play man. He wants to press as well. And I started to think about the idea of having Baker, a guy that wants to play press, having Arnett, a guy that wants to play and press. And then if you build out the back end, and in my mock scenario, picking up Xavier McKinney at the top of the second round with the fourth overall pick, and with that extra pick at 12, that's where you get Damon Arnett. And all of a sudden, after three selections in the draft, you've gotten yourself a starting a starting tackle for the for the New York football giants you've gotten yourself a phenomenal athlete that can play everywhere in the secondary in McKinney and likewise at the cornerback position in Arnett and I started to think about man you know how quickly could the Giants try to rebuild this defensive unit through a trade down scenario and getting a couple of these extra selections throughout those mid rounds well I, I think the interesting thing that I keep thinking about with the trade down is you know, we're talking about the run of offensive tackles and we can't, and we need to trade back at a, to a certain spot. I think we can safely say that there are, I don't know, five or six picks that we can guarantee are going to go in the top 10. Right. And, you know, we're talking about Chase Young. We're talking mm-hmm. about Joe Burrow. We're probably talking about Tua. I think we're probably talking about Justin Herbert. And, and like, so we're already up to, you know, four or five or Okuda is, is going to go in the top five or six. And I start thinking to myself, that is, you know, five or six guys already that we know are going to go in the top 10. Yeah, and Brown, Brown at the defensive line, you think he's going to go somewhere there as well. Right. So, so all of a sudden you're at seven or eight guys. So if we get back to the 11th pick or the maybe even the 12th pick, you're, you're pretty – I think you're pretty much guaranteed to get an offensive tackle at this point. So mm-hmm. I, I started running those scenarios myself and, and looking at how the draft plays out. And if all four tackles go that early, it, you know, it means one of two things. One, it means that the quarterback run that we're expecting didn't happen, and I just find that hard to believe. Every single year people trade up for quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the second thing is if that happens, we're talking about having a guy like Simmons sitting there at 12 who – can really revamp the defense. We're talking about, you know, some of these other players. Like, what I, – I think that there would be such a crazy scenario that if we traded back to 12 or 13 and all four offensive tackles were gone, there has to be a top five type of talent still available on the, on the board for the Giants. Yeah, 100%. And that's why I think, you know, the, the, that's why I think the trade-down scenario makes a lot of sense from that standpoint as well. Because, and, and we had said on the last episode uh, before I did the cornerback the spotlight, I was going to go to linebacker. And I wanted to, I, I wanted to pivot to cornerback because the, the Okuda conversation and where is he going to fall. But all of a sudden, like you said, you know, Simmons is a guy that's falling around to that 10 to 15 range in a lot of these mocks. And if it plays out where there is that big run on offensive tackles and they're not available, 
Well, then all of a sudden, maybe you get the versatile linebacker that you, you want to plug into this defense, fills a massive need for the Giants, and then you get to say, okay, so we didn't get the offensive tackle, but we've checked this box. Now, what do we need to do at the top of that second round? And oh, by the way, if you felt compelled, say you're sitting there with a fourth and, and a 12th in the second, you can make the move if you needed to, and you say, we want to get back into the first round to get Austin Jackson, or we want to make sure we just get that first pick in the second round to lock into this thing. It's not going to take necessarily both those second round picks, but that's the flexibility that you get by trading down, right? Quality player that plugs into a position of need and the ammunition to move around the board throughout those rounds to make sure that you get the best available player going forward to plug into these other areas. So it is going to be curious, and I I think it's just one of those things where everyone is so focused, and we have been as well, about offensive tackle and the Giants have to, have to, have to, have to in the first round. But this is that balance of they also have to, have to, have to fill in a ton of needs on this roster. And right now with just the one second round, a late compensatory third, and then those three in the seventh rounds, you know, you're, you're not talking about having a lot of ammunition over the course of this draft. Well, and look, there's always a price on every player, every draft pick, every spot. If, if a team's going to offer us their first-round pick this year, another second-round pick, and another first-round pick next mm -hmm. year, you'd be foolish to not take a deal like that where you get two first-round picks, you get an additional second-round pick, you're, you're accumulating assets. We are not just one offensive tackle away from being competitive and, and, and making the playoffs. I think we obviously have so many other holes, so we do need to get high-end talent, whether that's through the draft or through free agency, and we need a lot of it. So I'm not naive to, enough to think that, uh, you know, we're one off offensive tackle away and I'm too stubborn to move off of it. Yeah. I just think that is our biggest need, and if we shore that up, I think we can start cobbling together some semblance of offensive line protection, ball control, which ultimately helps the defense. I just think that that is the catalyst. So for me, it's the most important. The other thing that I want to look at was in free agency, and this is also, as we said, going to dictate a lot of needs around the draft. It comes out that Ngakwe is probably going to be looking in and around that $2 million, $22 million, $2 million a year for Ngakwe. Andy. Oh, yeah, I'll oh. take it. Uh, $22 million. So just it was one small extra two off the mark there. $22 million a year for this guy. Uh, do you believe that that's worth it? Does that scare you off at, at, at any point in free agency? Or do you think that this is the guy that, if all things being equal, it's the market, he wants to come to New York, the cost is $22 million, you write that check? Uh, I think we have the cap space, and if he's the guy that you want, I think you have to make the move. What I will say is that there's an interesting cat and mouse going on in Jacksonville right now where, you know, Yannick Ngakwe doesn't want to be franchise tagged by the Jaguars. Yes, it would make him a ton of money, and he would be excited to make, you know, whatever it is, $18 million, $19 million, uh, on a one-year deal. But he, basically, he's trying to figure out what is the best way for me to be able to hit free agency. And I think w what he's thinking about is if I say I want $22 million, then the Jaguars now have a decision. Do we franchise him knowing that we're going to lose him after this year no matter what? And we're not going to be able to sign him to a big long-term deal because he wants 22 million. Mm -hmm. You know, th that's kind of what I think he's trying to do is play this cat and mouse game. And if he really wants to come to New York, is he going to squabble over the last million or two? I think what I ultimately think is he's either going to get franchised and we're going to miss out on, on the fun Yannick discussions that we've had, or he's potentially going to sign with the giants for something like four or five years at $20 million a year.
And by the way, Gettleman said when asked about it, he said he didn't think that Ngakwe is going to hit the free agency market. Now you can take that for whatever, whatever it's worth, but there has been some speculation around that, that worst case scenario, Jaguars will franchise tag them and then wait and see what they can pull off. The interesting thing I think to me is like you said, if you're the Jaguars, you know, you don't want to let talent walk out the door and you can control them. Maybe they look to then trade him, you know, during the season at some point, but you know, 22 million for the Jaguar, even on a franchise tag, whatever that number turns out to be, it's a lot of money to invest in when you feel like you, you, you know, now you missed the window. The defense was stellar for a handful of years there. You've got to kind of reboot yourself a little bit as well. You know, New York, New York's going to always have fans at the games. They're always going to be selling merchandise and, and having a good business model. But when you're in Jacksonville, you can fall out of favor pretty quickly if you're not at least sniffing in and around playoffs consistently on a year-to-year basis. So I do wonder about that piece of it. Just to feather this out here, going back to Ngakwe, 2016, eight sacks. 2017, 12 sacks. 2018, nine and a half sacks. 2019, eight sacks. Now, we've also talked about how there's more to a stat line than just the flashy things like interceptions or touchdowns or sack numbers. But when the Giants know that they want to get pressure on the quarterback, and this is a guy that's done it consistently, I feel like that $22 million number is fine by me. Like you said, we have the cap space. I think it makes sense to go out and attack him if he hits the free agency market. Still so young, so much quality football ahead of him, really fills a massive need. So this, unlike when the Leonard Williams conversation came out at $15 million, and you're like, oh, okay, let's think about what that means for Ngakwe. I cut that check, I feel great about it, and I, and I check off a massive box for myself, and then I get to look into the draft. Well, speaking, speaking of Leonard Williams, I think hmm. you, you brought up a good point, and this goes back to some of the combine talk. You know, Dave Gettleman came out and basically said, I will be crucified if I don't re-sign Leonard Williams. And when I heard that, I went, oh, no. Like, uh, but he followed it up with, and, it, and, if I, he's like, and that's okay, I have rhino hide. That, 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 that was so that, that he means he can, good thing good thing he's got that rhino hide you know yeah I often you know I once dated a girl uh, back in the the late 90s early 2000s and I said sweetheart you've got one beautiful rhino hide nevertheless I didn't get a second date and the bottom line is that you know gentlemen I think that he understands that he's going to get beaten up for it but again this goes back to that Joe Judge thing about I think that the organization is pivoting and Gettleman kind of understands what needs to get done is what needs to get done. And if it means you're going to take a bit of a beating in the press because you traded for him last year, guess what? That was last year. We're on a new model now. And it is, it is what it is. You're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. We can't compound mistakes with mistakes. And I'm not saying again, we've talked about it constantly on this podcast. Leonard Williams is a good player. Mm -hmm. I like Leonard Williams. If we end up re-signing him for a reasonable number, like you said, I, I'm all for it. I just think, you know, a four or five year, 15 million a year deal for Leonard Williams really hamstrings us in, in areas where we need help. We need an edge rusher that sacks the quarterback. And I don't know how many times we'll say it, but we know sacks are not the be all end all, but they certainly help. And, and I think when you look at someone like Yannick, you know, he's getting eight to 12 sacks every year. He's still young. He's not, he's basically barely entering his prime now. That's the type of investment I can get on board with. And I'm just really hoping that, you know, Joe Judge is basically saying we have other areas that we need to put that 15 to 20 million. And it starts with, you know, it starts with a quarterback, linebacker. It starts with an edge rusher that sacks the quarterback. 
let's say that you sign Ngakwe to that $22 million contract. And a lot of these mocks where I'm running through them and I'm thinking about, you know, how am I going to get all the pieces and all the spots that we need on this roster? Obviously, Ngakwe checks off that box. You can think about a ha-ha Clinton Dix at a very, quote, reasonable $10 million. Now you're checking a box there. But one of the reasons why I talked about being able to get an offensive tackle and then backing that up in the second round with a McKinney and an Arnett. And then, by the way, in a couple of these mocks, most of them, I'm able to get Chase Claypool at the, at the 11th pick in the third round because I have that pick now. And then I also go into a linebacker and follow it up in the fourth round as well by uh, selecting Thaddeus Young out of LSU. So you can see how a lot of these boxers are getting checked. But one of the reasons that I got there when looking at the draft, and I know you and I have kind of gone back and forth on this, is – the center position and when is the value that you take in order to, in order to fill that need because you do have it and how late do you go before you see a drop off in talent at any position but specifically at center the, the picture that I paint here though is that you sign Ngakwe for 22 million and then you sign McGovern for for 10 million from Denver you talk about a guy entering his prime 26 years old he's gotten better each and every year of his career and you know 10 million dollars it's not a drop in the hat but if you start to think about combining that with some of these other pieces in free agency, you can get to that $45, $50 million cap hit range for a package of players with a big name like Ngakwe attached. And now in the draft, you free up the ability to maybe say, if we want to go defensive heavy as we work our way through the second and third round, we have that option now because we've checked an offensive tackle box in the first and we already backed it up with our starting center in free agency. And a lot of these mocks, all of a sudden, those runs kind of happen there as well. And you can find yourself on the outside looking in from the perspective of we have so many needs and there's talent available. I don't know if you even want to dip in at the fourth round and say, we're going to take a center, a Henson out of Oregon, as opposed to getting some depth at linebacker or taking a look at one of the cornerbacks that I highlighted, Reggie Robinson out of Tulsa, considered to have speed and athleticism, could be a steal in some of those later rounds. So, you know, I think you want to take chances on some of those guys. And maybe because of that, checking the box in free agency helps eliminate maybe over pursuing a center in the draft too early. I, I, you know how I struggle with this. I, while it's, it's interesting that the center position touches the ball on every single play of the game, mm-hmm. I just don't put that much weight into the center position as much as other people do. And I think, you know, spending $10 million on, on a center for a three-year deal or four-year deal is what, what it sounds like it's going to take to land him. I just feel like there are other positions that impact the play of the team greater that that 10 million should go towards and I know that that's an easy thing to say without having too much clarity but if we could get a linebacker like Danny Trevathan from Chicago who looks like he's going to be on his way out and we can get him around that 10 million dollar range if you if you ask me which one would I rather have I would probably take the linebacker um, just given that we've had how old is Trevathan though I think he's I think he's like 30 yeah, I mean, like, but I think that's kind of my thing. Like, you could you can paint a picture where there's a player on free agency market that's going to cost around ten million. But we had talked about you know Van Noy out of New England, right? Now he wants a big payday, quote unquote, and he's a, he's a little he's a little bit younger than even Trevathan. But you know, it's like again, ten million dollars for a thirty year old linebacker that, I, I, by the way, ha- still has some tread on the tires, certainly, and can be helping be a contributor. But I don't know, you know, if, like you said, if you, if you want to go one of the two. 
I want the 26 year old center for $10 million that, that locks up a position of need for, you know, for the next four years, as opposed to a guy that two years from now, when he's 32, and I know how the contracts work in the NFL, but you need surgery and you're, and you want to wrap it up in an ACE bandage. Well, it would be great if for $12 million a year we could get Corey Littleton, but I don't know if he's going to get franchise or not from the Rams. He's 26 years old, and he's an awesome linebacker. Mm. That would be great. I'd rather have him at 12 than, than a center at 10. And, you know, even, even someone like Blake Martinez of the Green Bay Packers, who has, you know, is an excellent, excellent, excellent coverage linebacker, which mm-hmm. is something that we struggled with, specifically Alec Ogletree struggled with uh, against the pass last year. He's 26 years old. He's probably going to command 13, 14, maybe even $15 million. So, yes, uh, I, I think, you know, we go back to what I talked about before. Not every single player is going to be a home run or, or the, the, the number one uh, option on every team that, that you hope for. I think a guy, even if he's 30 years old, you know, the way the contracts are structured, it's basically a two-year deal of guaranteed money. And we address a need with a veteran presence. We can't – every single player on the team can't be a 24-year-old hopefully entering his prime or a 26-year-old starting his prime. We need some veteran leadership that, that can say, I've been through the ringer here. Let me educate and show some of these younger players how to play. McGovern represents for $10 million, it's a positional home run in free agency. For $10 million for Trevathan, it's a two-year veteran presence that still has value, by the way. But you know what I mean? The dollar, if the dollar numbers are equal there and you're getting, you're getting a guy that is a, a, a home run at the position versus a veteran presence, then I lean, towards, you know, I lean towards the home run hit because it's not costing you home run hit in Gakwe at $22 million. But, but I mean, and, and yes, we, we can agree to disagree on this one, I think, Adam. But yeah. the, the, way, the way that I, I look at it is the importance of the center position. You look around the league and you look at um, who has the best centers or how centers mm. work. It seems like it's a very replaceable position compared to other positions where, like, like linebacker, where when you get one of those guys, you want to hold on to them because they can change the course of a game. They can you know, create turnovers. They can stop the run game. They, they can fall back into pass protection, uh, you know, pass coverage. I just think the center position has a little less weight to it on the field overall and spending dollars on a position uh, that is a little bit more replaceable to me uh, is not the direction I would want to go. And, that, and that's fair too. Part of the equation is impact of that player at that position on the field. And then the contract and the age and all of those elements. So that's, that's a fair component that you have to play into it. So we do, we do disagree. And obviously you're wrong and I'm right, but the bottom line is that I think it's going to be interesting how it plays out because again, giants have these needs to address and how do they evaluate the available free agent market and the draft class to say, Trevathan offers us best value in free agency to bring him in at this dollar number. And then we can allow some younger players maybe in slightly later rounds to develop underneath him over the next year or two. So there's plenty of, of positive pictures to paint there. Pivoting back here to the uh, cornerback scenario we were talking about, you know, if you think about the, the Giants, let's say Stan Pat at the fourth overall pick and they take an offensive tackle and maybe at the top end of that second round, they go with McKinney, who's been projected to be there quite often. And that way you don't spend $10 million on a ha-ha Clinton Dixon free agency, arguably a position that is valuable, but not necessarily, maybe like you said, like, like center, not the most important position on the field. So do you want to overinvest in free agency on it? When you move down into this list, and I, I mentioned before, Reggie Robinson, maybe he's a later round selection that could be a steal for the Giants. If that's the case, 
There's a lot of names out there in terms of cornerbacks and free agency. One of those familiar faces that uh, was just recently cut due to cap uh, concerns, not because necessarily of play on the field, though he did have a decline this past season. That was Prince uh, Mukamara, also from the Bears, just like you mentioned with Trebathan. Is there any scenario where you would, you know, how would you feel about bringing him in as opposed to maybe pursuing one of these top cornerbacks? You know that we have Baker, Sam Beal. It's a need position for us, uh, but maybe working through the draft makes more sense as opposed to bringing in some of these high price tag guys because when you start to break down who's out there, you know, Slay from Detroit wants out, wants a big deal, but he's the 15th ranked uh, cornerback this past season. Yeah, he's not worth big dollar numbers as opposed to just maybe, like you said, we're going to flip-flop here, bring in a veteran presence that can help teach some of these young guys how to play at the position and just be a contributor, not necessarily a starter. So I got to give you kudos to start. The Reggie Robinson idea, I think, is one that I can definitely get on board with. I, I you know, listened to your breakdown. We talked a bit about the cornerback breakdown beforehand. And I started looking into him, and he is, I know he played at Tulsa, and so that's not necessarily a powerhouse that people think about for cornerback play. Mm-hmm. But you said, like you said, he is 6'1", he's 200 pounds, he is athletic, he's fast, he's strong, and, and you know, he can potentially be that type of guy to take a number one wide receiver. Uh, I, you know, it looks like he's going somewhere in the fourth round. And if you can get that type of value from, from someone, that, you know, I think the combine is going to shine for him. He's the type of guy that might shoot up the board pretty quickly right. um, just based on, on, his, on his measurables. Um, so I wanted to give you a shout-out for that. I think that he's definitely a guy the Giants should be targeting. It, maybe it, it moves up to the third round. But, you know, wish we had that third round early pick. <laughs> I was going to say. But, right. But, but I digress. And, and I think, yes, so – you're learning from me, young grasshopper, in terms of having to fill the need with sometimes players that are veterans that maybe will be a stopgap until we can really address the situation or we hit a home run and with a fourth or fifth round pick. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I would not be opposed to Mukamara coming back. You know, he, he was serviceable for the Giants. He left on a, on a bigger free agency contract, and that's fine. Um, it, it's tough because you, you have these different scenarios. I personally would prefer someone like Ronald Darby uh, of the Philadelphia Eagles. He, he talks about what you talked about with the center. He's 26 years old, and he has upside. He was horrific last year. Yeah. He was one of the worst cornerbacks in the league. But his I, I, I get why you want to bring him in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How can we not sign this guy, right? Uh, but no, but I think in, in all honesty – he had, you know, uh, a, a couple of serviceable years before that. He looked like he was going to morph into a, a very legitimate starting cornerback and then just played horrible last year. I'd be actually interested to sign him on a, on a one-year, you know, quote-unquote prove-it deal where he wants to reset his market value because it's not going to be, you know, I don't think anyone's given him, you know, three years guaranteed or a bunch of guaranteed money. If him and Amukamara are, are, are the same price – and we don't necessarily see the Giants going anywhere next year, you know, which one do you prefer at eight, nine, nine million dollars, maybe even ten million dollars for for a one year stopgap? Maybe I would like it better if because of how bad Darby looked this past year, maybe that number is a little bit, you know, a little bit more friendly. And then I feel like you get a steal from him and in the scenario of drafting in a young player in a later round at the position, and then he can just take over and you roll him right out. Um, but you know, anything under the $10 million range, honestly, that, that's a good one, man. That, that's a good name to throw out there. But I, I just wonder about for how bad he played, 
what's the reaction going to be if you sign him to a nearly $10 million a year contract? Again, you know, apples to apples here. You're talking about Danny Trevathan, proven commodity veteran presence at $10 million. You talk about uh, McGovern, high caliber, logging in her center position, not the highest need at $10 million. And then you talk about Ronald Darby, disastrous season, $10 million. So, yeah, I, I, I fully recognize that that is probably not going to be everyone's favorite idea. The way that I'm looking at it, though, is I don't believe the Giants are in a position to make noise in the playoffs or be a potential Super Bowl contender next year. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that as a realistic expectation. So for me, I'm thinking, okay, if we're going to bring in Prince Mukamara, by the time he's serviceable for the Giants when we're going to be competing – I just don't, you know, he already lost a step. He's going to be 32 or 33 years old as a, as a cornerback. I think with someone like Darby, we fill a need on a very short-term deal to give ourselves cap flexibility. And if at 26, he comes back and has a great year. We can either franchise him at that point and, and, and hold on to him for whatever the market rate is, or we can offer him a longer-term contract and he can fit part of the Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley you know, age maturity and progression to the point where we do do have a chance at making a Super Bowl run. Yeah, I just pulled it up because I am a multitasker. Darby graded out here this past season at 68. So as bad, quote unquote, as his year may have been, statistically, uh, actually looks about even on par with Prince of Mucamera. And from that standpoint, you take the risk on the younger option as opposed to the veteran proven, uh, proven or at least quantified quant, uh, you know, commodity in, in a, a Mucamera. You know where he's going to be uh, as opposed to Darby. You say, maybe you get lucky. If this guy can turn it around or if he can be a contributor, you wouldn't mind having control over him, right? Maybe the two-year deal where you have control of him, and even if he plays well, all of a sudden drafting a guy at some point in those mid-rounds, he comes along. You don't, uh, you know, Baker proves himself. Sam Beal, one of these guys proves themselves for you this upcoming season. Now you have a valuable asset that maybe you can move and continue to bring in additional draft pieces going into next season. We're going to need to kind of lock ourselves in here and maybe set our big board about how we look at the team needs for the New York football Giants. Let's find out if the combine had any effect on where we think the Giants' needs are or if anyone shot up in their mass hysteria about hand sizes again. As always, that'll wrap it up here for the One Giant Podcast. We remind you to follow us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at One Giant Podcast. Head over to iTunes. It is the lifeblood of any good podcast to get those rates and reviews up, the auto downloads. We really appreciate the support we've been getting. So please, please, please head on over and do that. Tell your family, tell your friends. It's a heck of a show we're putting on here for you. At the end of the day, Andy, it's an exciting time to be a New York football Giants fan. And as always, let's go Big Blue. Bang! Bang!